Hello and welcome to our podcast channel here at Holy Trinity South Woodford. Thank you for joining us today and we hope you enjoy and are blessed through this week's talk. Now in the reading from Corinthians today, we had that remarkable phrase, we are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. Now, I think we haven't got things up behind me and you probably don't have Bibles with you, so let me just repeat that. We are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. And it's that verse, that text, those words that form the basis of our message today. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Both our readings today, the epistle and the gospel, are about the glory of God. The gospel reading described how followers of Jesus witnessed a change in his face and clothes. And in the earlier service here this morning, we trace Peter's testimony and how he too was transformed by the work of God's spirit, God's glory. Now we focus on the epistle and we're going to follow the testimony of Paul. Paul was not present on the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter, James, and John. He did not meet the risen Jesus in the garden, in the upper room in Jerusalem, or by the Sea of Galilee. But he had received testimonies and witness of others, notably those of Peter, James, and John, and crucially, my friends, Luke. He traveled with Luke extensively, and Paul's letters are infused with the testimony of Luke. Um, it's just so important to hold on to that. And when, we, when I come to share with you what you know about Paul's encounter with the glory of God approaching Damascus, the only source of that is from Luke's accounts, Acts 9, Acts 22, Acts 26. It is Luke's account of Paul's experience of the glory of the Lord that comes to us. Let's just go back a moment and look at the transformation and glory in the Jewish scriptures. Let me remind you of the text. We are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. Paul was extremely well-versed in the Jewish scriptures. Two of you in the front row, you've been studying the scriptures, but you know that Paul was ahead of all of us when it comes to the Jewish scriptures. And so he was familiar with how God revealed his glory. So in what we heard read to us, he chooses part of his letter to the followers of Jesus at Corinth to describe Moses' encounter with God in Sinai. The exact point that Paul is making in this letter here and now is a matter of debate amongst commentators. We don't need to let that detain us, but the main thrust of the argument is completely crystal clear. The glory that came with Moses and the law is nothing compared with the glory of God in Christ. Paul was aware that the glory of the Lord is near the heart of the Jewish story 
and the Jewish faith. The glory of the Lord is his transforming power, holiness, purity, splendor, and honor, coming at times that are unpredictable, often, and with irresistible force and light. The law given at Sinai is God's word, but it's revealed, that is, unveiled, with thunder, lightning, trumpet blasts, and the brightness of the Lord shining on the face of Moses, who'd encountered him face to face. When we talk about the Ten Commandments, if we take away the glory of the Lord, we, we, we tend to lose something of the whole power of what is going on at that moment. Then the pillar of fire and cloud are signs of his glory during the 40 wilderness years. The tabernacle is a place where his glory rests and the temple, especially at the hour of sacrifice. The prophecy of Ezekiel is lit up by God's glory. Job encounters God in all his power and glory. It is a manifestation that transforms everything. Isaiah describes the glory of the Lord memorably. Those of us who know Messiah by Handel, I've actually sung part of Messiah in this church, um, know the wonderful, wonderful phrases, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. But Isaiah is also a witness of the glory of the Lord. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. He was high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. And I said, woe is me. He's experienced the glory of the Lord. It is a glory that lights up and transforms places. I don't know how you felt as you came for the first time here today into the newly lit Holy Trinity. I don't know how you felt. But I felt lifted up. As though, oh, all my life I've been waiting for this, and now here it is. Um, and what a beautiful day. Of course, it didn't have to be like this, but it's just a light and alive. It is a light that transforms. Paul knew and reveled in the transforming glory of God in the Jewish narrative and story. But now we turn to the glory of God in Jesus. Paul never got over the realization that he was uniquely privileged to be living at a time when the whole of God's glory had been expressed and revealed in Jesus Christ, his son. He never got over it. It was as though the history of the nation of Israel had been compressed into a single person, which indeed it had. My wife has lived with me for 50 years, um, which is on her part a tremendous achievement. Um, and she's had to live with my discoveries of the scriptures over the years, working on a Bible for 30 years and preaching every week for 50 years of my life. And one of the things that um, I, I stop and say when we're having a quiet time or reading and say, here it is again, there's something I'd missed in the life of Jesus, where he's taking something from the story of Israel and it's now being lived out 
I'm not going to go through it, but even the feeding of 5,000, everything is a living out of the story of Israel. That's the wonder, and that for many is the scandal of Jesus. How could one person bear the total calling and story of a whole nation, let alone the sins of the world? How could the whole of God's person and glory possibly be contained in a single human being? It's not possible, it's also blasphemous. I've spent quite a bit of my last 25 years working on a biography of a, an Indian, a wonderful Indian follower of Jesus. And one of the things she shared with her devout Hindu sisters and brothers was that she could not conceive of the glory of God being fully manifest in a human being. Strict Hinduism says that just is not possible. And it's a good point to stand there and say this is verging on the impossible, even the blasphemous, is to take us to where Paul was. It had happened, it was true. The incarnation or birth of Jesus is an expression of God's glory. The shepherds are the one who sees it for, see it first. When John tells the story of Jesus, the marriage at Cana of Galilee is the first of the signs where Jesus revealed his glory. This is witnessed by his disciples in a range of ways. Now, Paul was not with these disciples, but through Luke and through Peter, through James and John, he came to know what had happened. Jesus exerted power over every kind of force, physical, spiritual, and mental. Peter, James, and John had seen Jesus transfigured on Mount Hermon. There were those who encountered the risen Jesus in the garden and then later the upper room and then Galilee. There were those who'd been there when Jesus ascended. Paul is one of a long line of witnesses, including Peter, James, and John, those who've experienced God's glory in life-transforming ways. I just want to say that the last book of the Bible begins with and is inspired by an unforgettable, unrepeatable experience of God's glory by John on the island of Patmos. And he is completely and utterly transformed. He just falls flat on the ground because he's encountered God's glory. I want now before I begin to wind up and apply things to my own life and possibly to yours, to consider the transformation and glory in Paul's life. Now, one of the slight difficulties is that we've rather got Paul in a block in epistles and so on, and so it's quite hard to distinguish before and after. He, he talks about before and after, but it comes in a package. The transformation in Paul was nothing less than dramatic, deep-seated and inspiring. It's not apparent that his critics, who still say, oh, the one downside about Christianity is Paul. If we could have had Jesus without Paul, then we'd be all right. Jesus is lovely, cuddly, cozy, gentle Jesus, meek and mild. And there's this Pharisaical Paul who's laying down dogma. What sort of Anglican would ever do that? 
they haven't caught up with the profound change. Let me tell you part of my life. I mean, it's not just because you're there, Jonathan, but it will reverberate, I think. As a musician, I have a, um, a discipline each year. I read in January the biography of a musician. This year it's been Mozart. And the rest of the year I restudy, revisit the corpus of that musician's work. Some years ago, it was Brahms, Johannes Brahms. And Brahms struggled with human relationships. Clearly, he felt deeply. You know that, take his requiem. I mustn't start talking about music, by the way. That's, my wife would say that's the road to getting lost. Um, but one of the things he understood was love. It was never something think of Clara Schumann, it was never something in his relationship with women that ever was resolved, came to anything. And yet it was only in that biography of Brahms that I learned that he waited for his last songs. I was discussing with a leader singer, a tenor in Abingdon this, and we looked at the score. And we come to the very last song of Brahms. Are you with? Right, we're there. Right at the end. And it's about love. And the words are these. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not love, I'm like a clashing gong or an empty cymbal. This is Brahms speaking, all right? He'd waited till that moment to come to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and to describe love. Ruth and I have been married for 50 years, as I've said, and one of our, her uncles, who was a, a Shakespearean actor, recited 1 Corinthians 13. I'm so grateful I can still hear him articulate those words because, my friends, 1 Corinthians 13 and the description of love, description of Jesus, is something remarkable in the history of literature, of religion. And it's Paul who is the one writing it, the Pharisee. But this transformation of Paul led him to see the biblical story of God's glory in a new and remarkable way. And this is what I want to, to pass on to you from Paul. From the beginning, the Lord of all glory, the one and only God, whose name the strict Jew would not ever say, simply the name, has been seeking not to remain above, beyond, inaccessible and unattainable. The story of the Jewish scriptures is that Jesus expressly wishes to dwell with and to relate to his creatures, his people, his children, so that in time by the Spirit we might say, Abba. is something we find in Paul, my friends, the transformed Paul. So God's glory, his presence, is to be found among them in the midst. Take away the temple, take away all the temple worship, and, and God's glory hasn't disappeared. In fact, somehow he's experienced more clearly, more directly. Not on the mountain tops, not on pilgrimages. You don't have to go to Walsingham. 
not above the heavens. He is one who wishes to walk with them in the garden. Where are you? To talk with them, to feel with them. My friends, I'm struggling with what's happening in Ukraine for all sorts of reasons. I've got a tie on, which is the nearest I can get to the Ukrainian colors. The experience of Hungarian refugees fleeing Russian oppression scarred my childhood. It's never changed. When I first went to lecture in Budapest, I broke down at the lectern. I was talking a lecture on education, educational philosophy. And I broke down and said, I'm just sorry I've come so late. I volunteered as a 10-year-old boy to come and fight. But my father and the authorities said I couldn't come. I heard your call on the radio and they wouldn't let me come. And now I've come, but it's late. And I feel that with Ukraine. I feel so helpless that somehow perhaps I could go. But I, there's something wounded in me. And my sense is that God's heart is breaking. By the way, I just want to say, because God is so big, it's been breaking in all over the world. Just because this is quite near to Europe, we begin to wake up a little bit. And my friends, this is what Paul saw of God's glory. The message of the New Testament is that in Jesus, the Lord of all glory, came into the world as a baby, Emmanuel, God with us. And he made his way into the homes and hearts of every kind of people. One of the most beautiful descriptions of the breaking of bread in Luke's gospel is of the two who invited Jesus into their home in Emmaus. Not a cathedral, not a great act of this, that, or the other, but to a meal where Jesus broke the bread. I've seen both versions of the picture of the light of the world by Holman Hunt, the one in St. Paul's Cathedral and the one in Keble College in Oxford. And as a boy and as a child, all the way through, the story of Jesus portrayed by Holman Hunt knocking on the door of well, the human heart, or is it the church? Certainly in Revelation, it's the church. What's happening? The Lord of all glory, the light of the world, is seeking to come and to eat with us. That's what he's asking to do. Not to call us to come out and worship him, but to come and share his life with us. And one of the privileges at Mill Grove that Ruth and I have is that always we have the joy of hospitality in the name of Jesus, sharing with others and knowing that Jesus will be wholly at home with this mixture, this riffraff of people, including me. I conclude, you and I are in this long line, long line of people whom God is seeking to come to seeking to share his life with us, his glory and our lives with him. We're pretty ordinary people, just like clay pots, in fact. But Paul tells the Corinthians that they and him and all followers of Jesus, he doesn't rule out Holy Trinity, are being changed and transformed into his likeness, the likeness of Christ. And the context is clear. This is about the glory of God 
revealed in Christ. However unlikely it may seem, this is what God has promised. And it's something we need to accept and grasp by faith with the help of the Spirit. How does it work? How is it possible that we, starting from here, working out Abby, Jonathan, Andrew, Joel, how is it possible that we are being transformed into, let me quote, his likeness with ever increasing glory? Can I just say that I, there are some people who talk about having spiritual health checks and doing that. I, I've always been a little bit wary about that and leave, leave it to others to see how, how things are going, not for us to look inside ourselves. But that's another matter. This is what seems to happen. When we encounter Jesus, I'm assuming that all of us here have in common some inkling of encountering Jesus. There is a moment when, thanks to the Spirit, we hear his voice, possibly recognizing it as our master's voice. And we realize that God desires above all, the song, above all, he desires to come into our lives and to share with us, beginning a process of change and transformation. We're clay, we'll always be clay, individuals and churches, but God has inexplicably chosen to make his dwelling in us. And as we seek to comprehend this, this is why we're here this morning, to make him welcome by reading his word, by praying, by worshiping together, especially as we break bread together, the service of communion or Eucharist. Gradually his light, his glory shines through us. When, like Peter and Paul, we're acutely aware of our own unworthiness of his presence and love, then it might be helpful to think of his glory shining through the cracks in the clay pots of our mortal frame. My grandfather used to travel from George Lane Station to preach in the open air. One occasion at Hyde Park Corner, someone shouted at him as preaching, you're cracked. And he said, praise the Lord, that's how the light got in. And it may be too how you see the light, sir. I've no idea of the response, but that is a beautiful response. Others may be able to see a glory we can't trace. Two weeks ago, I was walking around Millgrove with an architect. And he stopped me in one place and said, in, in a room, Jesus is here in this place. And I was in my, my home. But I felt as though in his presence I was in, on holy ground. Nothing more. No explanation. But Jesus is here. And I have had the experience of being in households, in fellowships, in different parts of the world, on all continents, in the presence of individuals where I have glimpsed the glory of God in and through them. This is not simply about the above and beyond. It's not simply about glory, lightning flashes. It's revealed in suffering and sacrifice. The true glory I saw in the Soviet Union under the communist era was the physicist who gave the eulogy at Sakharov's funeral. She served seven years hard labor. Her story is written in gray as the color of hope. And the communists couldn't break her by starving her and torturing her. 
So the final humiliation was to say, we've got a role for you coming back to Moscow. So she's professor of physics. And she's amazed that there is a role, but she's prepared for it. And sure enough, there is a role. She's to lead a kindergarten. I spent a morning with her at the kindergarten. And my friends, the glory of the Lord was in that kindergarten. Broken, but not bowed. She gave everything. And the light of the Lord shone. I watched, I couldn't speak Russian. I looked at her scarred and gnarled hands and her eyes. All the signs of suffering. But I witnessed the glory of God in her. I want to close, I, I was almost tempted, but the piano's covered up, so we won't uncover it, but I was tempted to play. I'm not sure whether any of you have had the privilege of being present when Marilyn Jackson, the singer and blind pianist, has sung one of her songs, Jesus, You Are Changing Me. But it has a ring of truth. I think at the end of it, if he heard it, Paul would say, Amen. And I'd like it, I'd like to offer it to you as something that might be true of you. Jesus, you are changing me. By your spirit, you are making me like you. Jesus, you're transforming me that your loveliness may be seen in all I do, you are the potter, I'm the clay. Help me to be willing to let you have your way. Jesus, you're changing me as I let you reign supreme within my heart. Amen. Thank you, Keith, so much. Um, there's so much to think about. And as I look out at you guys, to think that the glory of the Lord is revealed in all of us. Um, we're going to sing together in a moment, but I'd just love us to respond in prayer to all that Keith has been bringing to us. So let's stand together and we've got the opportunity to receive from the Lord maybe a sense afresh of his love in our lives. Um, his kindness to us and his gift to us to share his own glory with us. So I'm going to pray, come Holy Spirit, and then we're just going to leave a little bit of space. Um, I always hold my hands out um, in the sense of kind of giving away to God whatever um, I need to give him and also to receive from God whatever God wants to give to me. So let's just pray. Come Holy Spirit. sense was as Keith was speaking that there's a few people here and I don't I don't know who it is who um, feel like they are too cracked to receive 
um, the love of God and to really be made new and to be transformed into the image of his glory. And the message of the gospel this morning is that none of us are too cracked and we all are cracked and we all need that light of God. But the grace of God comes to us all. So just receive that this morning. Father, we thank you for sending your spirit to change us, to transform us and to make us your church into your people into your family, into your bride. And we pray that we would welcome you into our own individual lives and into our church as well. Help us to see the face of Christ in each one here, each one who loves you. And help us to know that your love for us means that we are included too. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We'd be really grateful if you could leave us a rating or review as that helps other people easily find this podcast. Remember, you can join us every Sunday at either our 9 or 10.45 a.m. services where you'll be sure to receive a warm welcome. Until next time, goodbye.